0: I'm going to talk about healing, but I'm going to start out in a way that's going to maybe throw you off if you're not paying close attention, because there is a precursor to healing. There are some things that we need to understand to really understand why it's God's heal—God's excuse me will to heal all of us. When I was at ORU, of course, ORU has the largest Pentecostal and library on divine healing in the entire world. And I did my paper, Why it's is it Always God's Will to Heal Everyone All the Time? And I did that paper. It was about a 50-page paper in the theology department there. And spent a lot of time. I had to take it my senior year. After I broke my foot, I was on crutches, and I had to go. And as for everything was online, you had to go get the books. You had to carry them back to the dorm. And it was the, at the very top floor of the library. And I was uh, about as far away from the library as I could be. And so I can remember writing that paper. I can remember I only had three and a half weeks to write a fifty-page paper, and for me that was a big task. Some of you that might be real easy, but I—I I, I was a type of guy. I wasn't—you know—I didn't really like writing papers that much. I love theology. I love studying the Bible. I love all that. But to write a paper like that, and I can remember taking time and studying and, and all these—oh my gosh—these ancient books and all these things on divine healing. There are so many books on it in that Pentecostal library at Earl Roberts University. And I can remember thinking, man, I, I'm, in, I'm in the apex of the study of divine healing on planet earth here at ORU, and, and I thought, this is just a great opportunity. And I really dug in, I really studied, and I really feel like God revealed, you know, if you'll seek, you'll find. Can I get an amen? And that's what I wrote my paper on, and I'm convinced today that it is always God's will to heal. But I'm going to start us out in what might seem a little counterintuitive or a little bit different place, than what some people might understand now I think in our church we would understand that but but I would say that in a lot of churches today they would not understand that that healing's precursor is the atonement and the and it's, there's a connection between the atonement and our healing and we've got to understand our healing as being based on an unlimited atonement everybody say unlimited atonement there are two schools of thought in theology, limited atonement and unlimited atonement. One is a Calvinistic predestination uh, doctrine, and the other one is an Arminian uh, pre, or predetermination, and, and the other one is an Arminian predestination. There's a difference between destination and determination, and we're going to talk about that a little bit today. And that is the foundation in the, and the, uh, how can I say, it is the ground and the pillar of the truth about healing. Let's bow our head. Let's pray. We're going to talk about divine healing today. Father, I thank you for your goodness. Lord, I thank you for your love that you are a loving and healing God. You are the Lord, our healer. And Father, I thank you that as we study and we have faith, uh, that we will see people be healed more and more to the degree that we have faith for healing. And to the degree that we have faith for healing is determined by the amount that we have hearing and hearing of the word of God producing faith for healing. So, Father, we ask for that today. We ask that you give me clarity of mind, articulation of speech, boldness of spirit. Father, to speak is your oracle. We ask that each one here would have ears to hear, hearts to receive, and a will to be doers of your word and believers of your word and acting upon your word today. Change us now. Renew our mind. We give you all praise in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Well, I want you to begin today in 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to go to that second verse there. And uh, we all know this verse, my little children. These things have I written unto you, uh, that if you sin, uh, if any of you, that you sin not, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. An advocate is one who stands in uh, as on our behalf. An attorney is called an advocate. It's an intercessor. It's an in-between. It's a mediator. It's a person who stands in on our behalf and goes before the judge and speaks uh, on our behalf and for us. But here is the portion that is pertinent today. 1 John 2, and then verse 2. And if, and he is the propitiation. Big, scary sound and theological word. What's propitiation mean, Pastor Bill? Propitiation just means the satisfying of judgment. The placating of a wrathful God who hates sin, who hates death. You know, judgment goes a little bit like this. You know, uh, the wage of sin is death. Somebody's going to have to die for sin. Why? Because when Adam and Eve sinned, it caused us all to die. Adam and Eve might as well put a bullet to all of our heads and committed murder. So there was a sin in the garden that caused death. Therefore, to be adjudicated in a perfectly just manner, had it to also receive the sentence of death. Does that make sense? And so we see that, the, the, that sin produces death. The wages of sin is death, it says in Romans 6.23, which we always quote when we do altar calls. Because we want people to know that sin is a very serious thing and sin is what produced death. Adam and Eve were created good and to never die in the garden. They were a righteous people. They were made in God's image. They had no death in them. And then Satan came along and they switched their leadership away from God's leadership to Satan's leadership. They obeyed not God to not eat of the tree, but they did obey Satan to eat of the tree. They followed that leadership through via obedience. And so we can see that Uh, they then experienced death and ever ever since you know they lived a lot longer than we did but they did eventually experience death after hundreds of years and now because sin is compounded and generationally uh, built into our DNA we die at a much quicker rate than we did uh, in the garden so because there was death uh, there was sin committed and there was death that caused people to die, then there had to be a sentence of death, and then came the second Adam along, who is Jesus, and he paid the price for that, and he hung on the cross, and he died for our sins to satisfy and to placate the justice of God in heaven, and so that is why Jesus had to die, and that's where the word propitiation comes from. So propitiation means to satisfy justice. What is right, what is righteous in the courtroom of God is God is our supreme judge, And to bring the sentence about that had to pay the price for the sin that was committed. So we look at that word and we can see, okay, that means that God is then fulfilling justice. So he is the propitiation of our sins. And not only of ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. In Romans 5 it says, sin came by one man and entered upon all the world. So everybody say with me, sin came into the world by one man. We know that's Adam. And then it came upon all the world. Everybody say, all the world, the whole world. But then righteousness came by one man and was also available to all the world. And so we know that not only was our propitiation for us who are sitting here, those of us who are sitting here in this room, that are saved and born again, but the guy that lives across the street and down the alley from you and the guy at work and the guy that you see at school who are not saved, Jesus also died for their sins, but they have not yet received uh, that by faith, what is already applied and been given to them through the act of the cross. Can I get an amen? So when we understand that, we can see that there is a universal atonement. My throat's very dry, so forgive me. But anyway, let's go back to that verse. And he is the propitiation of our sins and all of our sins, but also the sins of the whole world. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, who taketh away the sin of the world. Not part of the sins of the world. Not just the sin of certain people and not others, the elect. He said, Behold the Lamb of God, taketh away the sin of the world. Here, John says that he is the propitiation, and propitiation, that's what atonement means. He is the atonement, you could say, of not only of our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Well, there's many people believe in limited atonement. In our theology, in the Pentecostal charismatic world, we believe in a complete atonement based primarily upon this scripture, that God died for Adolf Hitler's sins, the same day he hung on the cross for Billy Graham's sins, he hung on the cross for Adolf Hitler's sins. The same day he hung between the man who rejected him on the left and the man who accepted him on the right, he died for both of their sins. He dies for the sins of the one who is the, uh, the sheep's and the goats. The goats and the sheep will be divided, but he died for all the goats' sins as well as all the sins of the sheep and all the tares and all the wheat. He died for everyone's sins. But there's two different types of responses because there's two different types of people because we have a thing called free will. Can I get an amen? We need to understand that. We need to understand that he died for all the sins of the whole world. The sins, I'm going to repeat it over and over again, and not for ours only. And not for ours only. And not for ours only. But also the sins of of the whole world you cannot make that more plain you have to try very hard to convolute that it's very very clear but in the Calvinist you know TULIP we, we, just, we just had TULIP time and that TULIP is an acronym for total depravity unmerited grace and limited atonement and, and you look at these acronyms in limited atonement and, it, and of course that was one man's interpretation and we know that Calvin believed in limited atonement and that God only provided for the elect, and, it's called, and I call exclusive determinism. See, that's different than inclusive destinationism. Inclusive, excuse me, exclusive determinism means it excludes a lot of people, and it's predetermined, not predestined. There's a difference between predetermined and predestined. One is about a determination, and the other one is about a destination. And they're two completely different Words with two completely different meanings. And one is exclusive and the other one is very inclusive. Everybody say inclusive. One excludes because it's already determined by God that he created some men to go to hell and he created some men to go to heaven and be his elect. That is a very unscriptural doctrine that produces very ungodly fruit. And when we, when we look at that, we see that determinism is a belief that it's already predetermined, or God determines it. We don't determine it. It's a, not a whosoever will theology. And in that ideology, you have the idea that there are some that are just excluded. Never were, plant, never were intended to be saved, won't be saved, and be eternity in hell, and can never be saved. In destinationism, there's a destination. That destination is heaven. That destination is salvation. That destination is being with God for eternity. It's a destination. And that's where the word predestination. The word is not predetermination. The word is predestination in the Bible. And so we've got to understand and rightly divide and delineate between these fine differences that we find in theology. Otherwise, we'll begin to believe wrong. We'll begin to think wrong. We'll begin to act wrong. And it is important what we believe, because that determines what we think, and what we think determines what we do, and what we do determines what we will accomplish, achieve, and have in life. So when we begin to understand that, we can begin to understand that determinism is exclusive, destinationism is inclusive, and the nature of God and salvation is always, always, always inclusive. He wants to include everyone to go to heaven. Can I get an amen? So, when we understand that the nature of God is inclusive, Jesus, you know, it's kind of like this. I like to think of destinationism as think in terms of a destination, not a determination, but a destination. Jesus provides a boat to the other side. I can remember when we, we used to go up to Okaboji and uh, we used to go up there every summer and even before that I can remember going up there quite a few times and up there there's this great big boat and they would you'd get and you'd sign up because they'd have to wait till they get a full load then they would have everybody get on that boat and you'd go to the other side of the lake and it was a fun thing you, I think you could eat on that boat and you could just hang out and have a good time get some sun look at the beautiful lake and be with your family. And you'd go, but you'd have to go and, you know, they'd be signing people up for maybe a half hour or an hour beforehand. And you'd go and you'd sign and you'd put your name in. And then, you, you know, when uh, you showed up, you'd pay. You'd get on the boat, you'd go to the other side. And everybody whose name was on there got to go to their side. You'd, you'd have to pay, of course. But it, it just reminded me, you know, Jesus, you know, I heard a statistic recently. You know, Jesus is inclusive and he, he always wants everybody. Uh, but I heard this really interesting statistic and I can't remember who shared it with me, but they said that the the people, the, the population of the earth was so small in the time of Noah. It wasn't a huge population. And, I, and I've heard different, you know, nobody really knows. Let me, you, let me feel you like on a little newsflash. Nobody really knows. But some people really believed that the population wasn't that big. And, you know, they'd only been there so many generations. And one person said that statistically, that one person figured out, and I don't know how they do this, but they said they believed that everybody that was on planet earth could have fit in the ark. Now, isn't that interesting? I'd never heard that before. I never had that take. And, And I thought, well, that's interesting. That's very interesting that the population was so small that they all could have. But you know, how many of you know that makes sense? Because the Bible says over in Peter that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Now, I can't imagine his preaching sounding like this. You're sinful. You need to repent. God, by faith, You can obtain a righteous standing with God by faith. And then later on, there'll be a Savior that'll die on a cross. And you can be born again, but you can get in in the Old Testament by faith. And he was a preacher of righteousness. And if you accept God, uh, you still won't get on the boat and you'll still drown. Doesn't that sound like counter to what everything the Bible teaches? See, I think, you know, it's kind of like, ah, I connected the dots. It makes sense that it was a small population and that God would make a mechanism so everybody could be saved, kind of like the cross today, and that he would preach to them and give them an opportunity to get on the boat that he had made for them, prepared for them. And, of course, Noah is a type of Christ. And then preach to them and try to get everybody on that boat that was prepared for them as a means of salvation for them. Can I get an amen? I mean, that makes sense. And I was wondering, you know, he's a preacher of righteousness, but if, but if you obtain righteousness through faith, and that's the only way you've ever re- you'll ever receive righteousness in the Old or New Testament was by faith, and the way that you, he would obtain that, then they would be saved, because I can't imagine him preaching to, to, to receive God's righteousness by faith so that they wouldn't be saved. Can any of you imagine that? I can't imagine that. That goes counter to everything in the Scriptures. Now, we don't know these things for facts, biblical clearly you know demonstrated facts but it makes a lot of sense to me and so i believe this you know jesus he he died on the cross he made a way for everybody and everyone's transport is paid by the blood everyone's name is in the lamb's book of life can i get an amen it's kind of like that ticket getting on that boat up in okaboji you know you showed up an hour later you know you signed up an hour before but you showed up and your name was on the thing they say okay get on pay you for your ticket let's go for the ride And the name is in the Lamb's book of life. And the destination is the other side. But you know, what I have found is even when God provides a way, there's a lot of people that won't get on the ark. Even though God is somebody preaching about it and telling them in detail about God's love and his wanting to save us and providing, and I believe it's true what that person told me, that the ark probably was made to hold all the people of the earth, and, and that God has already made a way for them to be saved and to avert the judgment of God. And, of course, the Bible says, as, you know, when Jesus asked what it would be like when the Son of Man returns, he says it will be as it was in the days of Noah, where there is an ark that's been provided, but nobody wants to get on it. How I many of you know that's what happens when you live in a post-Christian nation? But I have to believe that God has provided a way for everyone. So, what does this all have to do with healing, Pastor Bill? Well, we're getting to that. And so, when we understand that God has a universal, how can I say, He, he has a universal solution. He, he's made a, a universal plan for our salvation for everyone. And I go, okay, scripturally, where do we find that? And, and we go, and we when we begin to look, we can see that, all through the Bible, we're called to understand that it's universal. For instance, let me, let me go to some scriptures. Mark 16, 15, it says, Go into all the world. Everybody say, All the world. All the world. And preach to every creature. Everybody say, Every creature. Every creature. Hmm. Go into all the world, preach to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name, and so on and so forth. So we're to go into all the world and preach to every creature. How many would say that's inclusive? How many say that's not exclusive? Everybody say inclusive. Mm-hmm. Inclusive. Amen. You need to hand out some Red Bulls and get you, some of you to wake up this morning. Amen. No, don't tell me you haven't been drinking that stuff. No, I'm just teasing. We go into all the world and we preach to every creature. Acts 17, 20. God yeah. winked at sin at one time. But now command all men everywhere to repent. Everybody say commands. Amen. All men everywhere. Well, where's that, Pastor? That's Acts 1730. He winked at sin at one time, but now he commands all men everywhere. That's pretty inclusive. Pretty inclusive, not Exclusive. Inclusive, all men, he commands all men everywhere to repent. Just like he tells us to go into all the world and preach it to every creature. That's why he can command all men everywhere to repent. How many of you see a consistency in the scriptures? Turn with me to Second Peter 3.9. We're just going to look at the inclusiveness of God, the inclusiveness of salvation, and the, and the general inclusiveness of the nature of God, that God is an inclusive God. He is not an exclusive God. He is absolutely not an exclusive God. Second Peter 3.9 says it like this. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but he is long-suffering to usward, not willing that... Any not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Not any, but all. How many would say that's pretty inclusive? Not any should perish. Not any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. Not any not any should perish. Go to 2 Timothy 2 2. Here's another one. It's it's so it's very, very consistently throughout that predestination is not what some of the church world might think that it is. It's not determinism, it's not in exclusivism, it's inclusive and it's destinationism. Okay, let's go to First Timothy two two. Very interesting. I'm in 2 Timothy, excuse me, let me turn back. <clears throat> it says, to pray for kings and all those in authority that we may live quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God who will have all men, everybody say all men, all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God's will is to have all men come to the knowledge of the truth. That's why he commands all men everywhere to repent. That's why he tells us to go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. And so he wants us to have that. Now, here's a really good one. Turn with me to Revelation 3.9. We're just going to... Is it all right if we just walk through Scripture? I mean, we actually still use Scripture in this church when we preach. We're almost, that's almost becoming an exception to the rule when you use Scripture to preach. Revelation 3.5, and it says, He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot... Out, his name, out of the book of life. But I'll confess his name before my father. The clear implication here is that your name is already in the book of life and he won't blot it out. It's already in there, Pastor Bill? Are you sure about that? Well, I can give you Exodus 32, 33 tells us that. Revelation 22, 19 tells us that. Psalm 69, 28 tells us that. Psalms 109, 13 tells us that. And never once does it say, put our name into the book of life. It only refers to not having your name removed from the book of life. So what does that tell us? That tells us our name is already there in the book of life everybody say that's inclusive when we understand that and we look the saints names are already written in the book of life blotted out if we don't repent and we don't receive salvation then he has to blot it out well that reminds me of a story when i went to oral roberts university I can remember at the midway point through the year, I had decided that I was going to transfer from Marston Community College, and I was going to go to ORU, and it was a midway, midway through the year transfer, and I wanted to get into the Ed Hughes dorm. It was an eight-story dorm, and that was the place to go, and that's where I wanted to be and all that, and I, but there, you, know, you go there. The, the, the rooms are already filled. They're already full, and I got there, and I found out. They said, well, there, a room came open. Uh, a young man, his name was written down for this uh, room, He had uh, planned on coming this semester. His name is on the roster. His name is on the list. His name is in the book to live here in this dorm room, but he never accepted it. He never showed up. He never received it. He never came. So we're going to let you stay in this room uh, as you come in as a transfer student for the second semester. I said, well, praise the Lord. I'll take his room. I'll be glad to because he didn't show up, but his name was written. That room was in his name. I said that room was in his name, but he never showed up. So they took his name off the roster. See, when you, when you do a lot of studies in, on the book of life, and, you, and I've studied it a lot, and in the commentaries it tells you where do, you know, almost everything in the Bible had a counterpart that was really something that was being compared to here on earth that already existed. And the book of life was this. The book of life was when you went into an ancient city and they had the gates were around the city and in the gates were the city officials, they were the city fathers, and the gates you were allowed in or you weren't allowed in, but if you came to that city and you wanted to know if, if you know, uh, Kurt Block lived in that city, they brought out a book and they said, in this book is all the inhabitants, all... the the people who live in the city, and we don't just let anybody in and out of our city, you know, we have a kind of a gate system, but if you want to know who lives in the city, we'll get out the book of Oskaloosa, and in that book, we have the name, it's kind of like a directory, it's kind of like maybe today's modern phone book, but in that book was all the inhabitants of that city. And that was common knowledge, and that is the vernacular, the use of this word, where John and the other writers of the Bible got their idea of the book of life is the book of everybody who is living or going to live in that city. In other words, there is already a reservation in heaven with your name on it in the book that tells of all the inhabitants of that great and holy city called the new jerusalem can i get an amen Amen. that is the idea being communicated through the idea of the book of life in that ancient culture they had books that you looked to to see who was a member of that city and when you look at the book of life we are all members in that city unless we're like the guy at oru that didn't show up And has his name removed from the book? Can I get an amen? Does that help you understand what the the book of life is? Now, let's go to the other side. It says in Matthew 25, 41 that hell was not made for man, but hell was made for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, 41. Everybody say the devil and his angels. It was not made. It was not made for us. It was made for... In other words, the reservations in hell... We've got two hotels, Hotel Hell and Hotel Heaven. The reservations in Hotel Hell has all the devil's, the fallen angels' names and Satan's name written in it. But you know what? It doesn't have any of our names written in it. Because all of our names are written in the book of life. And if we never receive Jesus Christ, our name has to be removed from the book of life. Somebody say amen. So... This is how confident that God, when he died for the sins of the whole world, how confident and how he was looking at us in faith, calling those things that be not as though they were, calling those things that be not, everybody has their home in heaven as though they were, those who are, we were all lost, but because he has faith for us to be saved and he believes for us to be saved and he calls those things that be not, he called us all citizens of heaven before we ever accepted him. And we have to disappoint him and reject him and not accept Jesus for us to become citizens and go ask for a place in Hotel Hell, which there are no reservations for us there. Anybody getting what I'm saying this morning? That is called inclusive destinationism. Inclusive, that he wants everybody there. Where does he want them? He wants them at a destination. Where is that? Heaven, the city where your name is written in the book. Can I get an amen? That is inclusive destination, not exclusive determinationism. So when we understand that, everything in the Bible suddenly starts making sense. Praise God. Hallelujah. See, but what about the elect? The Bible talks about the elect, the elect. We are all the elect. And none of the fallen angels are the elect. Because the reason why he makes a delineation, a distinction, a difference between the elect and the non-elect, is because the non-elect are the angels who, they are not God's elect, they are not God's redeemed, they have not received God's redemption, they are not predestined to heaven, they are not God's elect. We are all God's elect. God elected for all of us to go to heaven. But we can change our status from the elect to those who reject God. Well, how, well... So, turn there with me, 2 Peter 1.10. We make our election sure, God doesn't. Oh boy, I tell you what, if a, if a person who believed in Calvinism heard that, they would say, heresy, 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 heresy. You know, sovereignty is not mentioned one time in the Bible. Get your vines, your, your, your Thompson, get your concordance, get your vines, concordance get your sovereignty is not even a biblical word but you know what is biblical god has all power god has all authority and god has all dominion so we assume and we assign an unbiblical word that we feel like describes those three things all in one word sovereignty is not in the bible now i believe in the concept everybody say the concept but it's not a bible word Believe me, I'll go get my concordance right now and hand it to anybody who wants to try to find it. It's not in there. But all power, all authority, and all dominion, not all determinationism. Not all determinationism. Not all determinationism. But destinationism, yes. So when we look at that, we can see that God says, Turn there, 2 Peter, everybody go there, 2 Peter 1. I'll make sure it's in there, Pastor Bill. Look what it says. It says, wherefore, rather, brethren, give diligence and make your calling and election sure. He's telling them to do that. He's telling them to make their election sure. Make sure you show up at ORU where your name is already listed for that room. Make sure you take advantage of the cross and the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the atonement for your sins that he's already made made available to you. Make sure you receive it. Can I get an amen? amen? Make your election sure. And you make your election sure. And you make sure your election sure. By you be sure you receive Jesus. And you be sure that you receive Jesus. But every one of you make your own election sure. That's so important that we understand that. Because it's the foundation that healing is for everyone. Which we're going to move into that next. Did you know the Bible says, Whosoever will, let him come and let him drink of the water? Did you know Romans 1013 says, Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved? Did you know that John 3.16, does anybody know John 3.16 this morning? <laughs> we ought to. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that's whoever, whoever, that whosoever, that whosoever, whosoever believeth on him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. Whosoever. You make your election sure. You're the one that's going to determine it. God's already done his part. He already died and made propitiation not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. He already told us to go to everybody and preach it. He told everybody to repent. He says he wishes everybody to be saved. He wishes that nobody would go to hell. He's made it so plain and so clear that it's inclusive and not exclusive but maybe some people like exclusivity. Maybe they like maybe elite or elect or, or and I don't know why anybody would want to even think that of God, but I believe this. The Bible is very clear about inclusiveness. Somebody say amen. amen. You know, it says many are called, but few are chosen, and both of those words are unspecific. Many and few. There's no specificity like many, like these people are predestined they're the elect they they're they are the chosen no it says many are called but few are chosen many is the whole world that's many that's a lot of folk jesus died on the cross for but few receive and make their election sure by accepting jesus into their heart can i get an amen many are called everybody's called that's the invitation that word called just means invitation everybody's got the invitation to show up at the hotel because it's the room's already paid for and your name's already in the book everybody's got an invitation your name's already written in the book to show up and have your room, to take your dorm room, to, to be a member of that city. The name, your name's already there. Go take it. Make your election sure. That's the way healing is. Did you know that when the little woman with the issue of blood came up and touched Jesus from behind and the, and the anointing came out of him, Jesus didn't have anything to do with that. She made her healing sure he didn't. You know, she pressed through a crowd, and undoubtedly there was a lot of six feet, a little woman who heard of Jesus. She said, in heart, if I can but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be healed. And she pressed through the press, and she came up behind him, and she touched his garment. And she, he felt the anointing go out of him, or virtue, it says, which means power, go out of him. And he said, he turned in the press, and he said, who touched me? And the disciples says, we don't know who touched you. I mean, after all, Jesus, there's probably 5,000 people here that touched you, and half of them are probably sick in that, in that ancient world.
1: They're not making their
0: healing sure, but this little woman, she was going to make her healing sure. She says, if I can but touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. She made her healing sure. Just like you got to make your election sure because they're received the same way by faith. Can I get an amen? And when you go and you press through, I don't care if anybody else is making their election sure. I don't care if anybody else is believing this stuff. I don't care if anybody else, well, I do care if other people are going to heaven, but but I know this, I'm going to make sure that I get there. I'm going to make sure that I get my healing. I'm going to make sure I get what belongs to me because Jesus paid too big of a price for it for me to waste it. And God says, I wish above all things that you'd prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. And if you look at 9.28 when two blind men came up to Jesus and he says, do you believe I can do this? And they said, yes. He says, according to your faith be it done unto you. 17 healings in the New Testament in the gospels 12 out of the 17 tell us that it was their faith not god's not a gift of healing it was their faith that got them healed cuz he said to that, that little woman pressed through the, he said who touched me then he turned around and says woman your faith has made you whole not the you're not some elect of god for your healing you didn't have to have any special revelation for your healing that whether you know it's god's will for you to get healed or not for you to get healed no you just said, it's for me. And she made her healing sure. And she believed. Mark 16, it says, go into all the world, preach the gospel. And, and it says, and they shall lay hands on the sick. How many know the sick, again, is an unspecific term? The sick. It doesn't say, go lay your hands on only the sick that it's God's will to heal. It doesn't say go into the into the gospel and preach only the gospel to only those who are the elect that it's God's will to save. In a generalized statement, he says go and preach the gospel to the sick, not just the ones that have a special revelation that it's God's will for me to get healed and not for you to get healed. Or it's God for me to will for me to be saved and not for you to be saved. There is no specificity. There's only generality. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. And then it says, and go and lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Not the elect sick that God has a plan for them to get healed. No, the sick. That's everybody. That's anybody. That's all the above. Can I get an amen? No, just like James. If there's any sick among you, let them call for those. Church, let them pair him pray Minodum, with oil and the prayer of faith shall Save the sick. There's any sick. Now, does any mean, well, some uh, uh, that are the elect and to be healed and some that aren't the elect to be healed? And, 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 no, any. Everybody say any. That means anybody. Is there any among you that are sick? Well, let them determine whether it's God's will to heal them or not. No, that's not what he says next. He says, if there are any sick among you, let them pray until they find out God's will. Get a special revelation find out, is it God's will for you to be healed? And maybe not the person next to you? Doesn't say that. He says, if there's any sick among you, let them call for the elders, let them pray for them. And the prayer of faith, if it really is in faith, will save the sick. Anybody seen how God's salvation is inclusive and the sins, the atonement is for not only our sins but the sins of the whole world and that healing isn't just for a few but it's for everybody that is something the church will doesn't understand that is something that we who understand this need to get out and pray for those and talk to people and, and bring that say well what does the atonement have to do with it because let me tell you something the atonement is the basis for our healing being for everybody in the same way that God's forgiveness of sin is for everybody, whosoever will believe, healing is for everybody, whosoever will believe. How do I know that? Because Matthew eight sixteen and seventeen says this: When evening was come, key point. Listen to me. They brought unto him when evening was come, and it was, it was evening was falling. They brought unto him many who were possessed with devils. And he cast the spirits out with his word and he healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled by that which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Him healing all those people that were brought to him, the whosoever wills, those who are going to make their election but also their healing, sure, they're going to come to Jesus by faith and make that healing sure. And then many brought unto him, him, and he possessed those cast the spirits out with his word, and he healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled. What was fulfilled? What's he talking about? That might be fulfilled by the prophet Isaiah saying himself took our infirmities and he bare our sicknesses. Jesus carried our sicknesses just like he carried everyone's sins because sin and sickness always go together. Adam and Eve's sin, their sickness, death, they died. It goes together. You can't separate them. They go hand in hand. See, when you understand that, then you understand that he healed all. and you understand that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. What are the works of the devil? The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Luke 13, 16, Not not this woman being a daughter of Abraham be loosed from her infirmity whom Satan hath bound low these 13 years or 18 years. Whom Satan hath bound low these 18 years. You see, Satan is the one who brings the sickness and disease. Satan is the serpent. Satan is the one that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Isaiah 50, go ahead and turn to Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. It says, Surely he has borne our griefs and he has cured our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Let me read it to you from another translation. This, this translation will blow your mind. Jesus carried our sickness and our disease. Let me just read it to you. It says in one translation, Surely our diseases did he bear, our pains he carried, yet surely our sicknesses he carried, and for our pains he bare the burden of them. But we, we thought of him, of someone being punished, struck by God, brought low, yet we ignorantly considered him stricken and smitten and afflicted by God. And now get this one, a leper, so we thought of him, a man God had smitten and brought low. And all the while, it was our sins he was wounded. That, why he was wounded? It was guilt of ours that crushed him down. Another translation says, the chastisement for our well-being was upon him and his stripes there is healing for us. Twas for our welfare that he was chastened, the blows that fell upon him have brought us healing. says in Moffat's translation. The chastisement he bore is health for us and by his scourging we are healed. He was chastised that we might have peace. He was lashed, and we were healed. You can't separate the forgiveness of sins from the healing of the body. That's why David said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all mine iniquities and who heals all my diseases. Very inclusive. Somebody say, Amen. You see, when you study this out, well, that's all Old Testament, that's all Jesus, that's, that's before the, the new covenant. Is that, does that same thing get taught over in the epistles, Pastor Bill? Because you've always taught us to find it in the epistles, because that's what's written to the church. Well, I'm glad you asked. 1 Peter, look what it says, 2 and 24. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, and we being dead to sins should live under righteousness by whose stripes ye were not forgiven, you were healed. Now, we know you're forgiven too, but it says you were healed. Some people say, well, forgiveness is healing. No, it's not. The Bible does not use those two words interchangeably, like a lot of people will try to tell you. A lot of people say, well, when we go to heaven, we get a new glorified body. That's our healing. No, that's not, that's not healing. That's not being healed. You see, that's getting a new body. How, how many of you know, uh, okay, let, let me just make it real simple to you. You crash your car. You go wreck your car. You drive it in the ditch. You hit a deer. You got a great big dent on your car. And, you know, instead of saying, I'm going to get my heart car healed, you say, I'm going to go get it fixed. But you show up and you come back five hours later with a new car. Now, which one, what happened to your car? Did it get healed or did you get a new car? you got a new car didn't you see we get a new glorified body see us getting our new glorified body is not healing don't confuse those two things that's not healing that's not healing that's a new glorified body that's not healing Any more than you say I'm going to go get my car fixed and you come back with a new car that's not a fixed old car that's a new car somebody say amen it's pretty simple I don't know why you have to explain that to some people, but you do. But let me tell you something. He wants us to have healing now. He wants you to receive and make your healing sure, your election sure, because He is healed. He's made it available for all of us. And we know that's true because Jesus likened Moses unto, Jesus is likened to Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness. And, and without going there because of the sake of time, we're running out of time. I'm going to finish here in just a second. Numbers 21, 5 through 9, the children of Israel murmured against God. God took his hand of protection off him and a bunch of snakes came and started biting him. They started dying from the snakes. Anybody remember this story in the Bible? Raise your hand if you remember that story in the Bible. See, I'm not the only one. It's really in there. They're murmuring. Sin opens the door for serpents serpents make you die serpents make you sick they got bit they got sick they died that's because serpents how God anointed Jesus and went about doing good healing all who were oppressed of the devil ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham whom Satan has bound these 18 years be loosed from her infirmity Satan is the one who binds Satan is the one who makes sick Satan is the author of sickness and disease but Satan can't get in without sin can I get an amen they murmured sin. The serpents came in, demonic oppression, access. They begin to die from the bites. That sickness as a result of devils, which are a result of sinning. And if you'll read there in John 3, it says that our salvation is like when, and Jesus going to the cross, is like when Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Is anybody following me this morning? Anybody getting anything out of this? When you look at this, I'm just going to read that verse of Scripture very quickly. John 3, 14 and 15. It's right before God so loved the world. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of God must be lifted up. And whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so then they repented. Everybody say they repented. Ooh. See, that has to do with sin. You repent from sin. You don't repent from sickness. You repent from sin. But it affects your sickness. They repented and they came to Moses and they said, we repent. And God told Moses, take a bronze serpent, take a bronze pole and put a bronze serpent up on the pole and hold it up. And if the people look to it, and John says that was, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of God be lifted up. And he says, look at the pole. Oh, is Jesus like a serpent up on the cross? No, 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 no. That's not what that's talking about. How would they put a serpent on that pole? Jesus hung on that cross. Oh, a serpent, that's a devil. No. You've got to understand the symbolism. What got nailed to that cross was your sins. And the delivery system of those sins was Jesus Christ's body. He was... He who knew no sin was made to be sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. Jesus carried our sins, and he took them to the place of judgment and putting our sins to death. And they hung that on the cross. Now, it all happened in, in, in the, the carrier system. The vehicle was Jesus' body, but it was sin that was being dealt with on that cross. Can I get an amen? It was sin that was being adjudicated on that cross. That's why it says in Colossians that our sins were nailed to the cross. And you, when you understand that, then you can look and say, my sins are nailed to the cross. God has already adjudicated. I've already been set free. Somebody else paid the penalty for me. And when they look to that serpent up on the cross, up on the, on the bronze pole, it says they, they repented and then they look to the, it says their sickness went away and the, because the serpents went away because their sin went away because they repented from their sin and God paid for their sin. Can I get an amen? Amen. So when you understand that, then you understand that's for everybody. And when sin is connected to sickness, and repentance and forgiveness of sin is connected to healing, because they go together, and they're universal. And God wants us to recognize that the precursor to understanding that healing is for everyone is understanding salvation is for everyone, because salvation is one of the components, excuse me, healing is one of the components of our salvation. See, in Schofield's Bible, the seven, uh, you know, he gives seven meanings for the word salvation, and one of them is divine healing. One of the seven meanings of salvation, sozo, the Greek word, means divine healing. That's in the Schofield Bible. He was a Baptist, and he believed that. See, one of the components of our salvation is healing. One of the benefits of our, forget not all of his benefits, one of the benefits of our salvation is not only forgiveness of sins, but healing. And we can believe for healing, just like we can believe that when we ask Jesus to come into our life, forgive us of our sins, and repent from our sins, that we'll be saved. We can believe that when we call the elders of the church and they pray and anoint them with oil, and we all get in faith and we believe and agree together, that we can be healed. They go together. They're inseparable. Anybody get anything out of this today? Let's all stand up. We're going to be dismissed. We went a little late. We should pray with the same confidence for healing as we do for people to be saved. Well, I don't always see somebody get saved and right, healed right away. Well, sometimes that's because God is telling you you've got to repent from something. That's why sometimes your healing is going to be a recovery, not an instantaneous, miraculous healing. That's why sometimes you just need to eat right, because that's why there's dietary laws. Sometimes you, you need to repent from something. That's why there's 1 John 1, 1.9. Sometimes you need to forgive your brother and sister. That's why there's Mark 11, 24, 25, and 26. Sometimes you need to do some things... But if you'll pay attention, God will show you. And you can get healed if you come to him and ask him, can I get an amen? Amen. 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 Sometimes go to the doctor and sometimes there's a lot of different ways that God heals people today. But I believe this, God wants to heal you. Turn your name and say, God wants to heal you. God wants you to be whole. Just like God wants you to be forgiven. Let's bow our head. Father, we thank you. Lord, as we come today, I believe that you want us to walk in divine health and divine healing. Just like you want us to walk in holiness, continually not sinning, not just sinning and then asking for forgiveness all the time, not getting sick and getting healed all the time, but just walking in the good side of holiness and healing.